Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Um, a couple of things, housekeeping things. Um, we just want to really welcome Mike and Nat and Levi. So we've got baby Levi's very first church service ever. Um, so welcome. I don't even know where you guys are. They're probably... Hey, 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 hey. We, I'll get you up and embarrass you, but we can all do that later. Uh, but welcome, Levi, and uh, really excited to get to know this young boy. He's really small and cute, so well done. Um, we also, if you've got kids in grades uh, 11 and 10, 11, 12, uh, we're actually starting a senior youth group, and uh, we're going axe throwing. So if you've got young people, and like everyone's like, I want to do that, that's awesome, um, you've got to be in grade 10, 11, 12. So if you've got people in grade 10, 11, 12, come and have a chat to me later, okay? I know you all want to be young, but you're not. Um, Awesome. So we're talking today about having a gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. I'll get that right. And I think it's really important that we understand that attitudes play a really pivotal role in our lives. Now, when you think of me, um, you probably don't think of, hey, is it working? If I stand on one leg, does it help? Oh, there we go. You probably don't think of fashion. Um, I have no idea of fashion. These are all photos of me at some various stages of my life. I have no idea about fashion, and um, I don't really have a good idea about it. But um, I'm just seeing in my kids now um, that they're starting to develop a sense of fashion. In fact, my six-year-old son has a better taste of fashion than what I do. Uh, my wife stops me going out of the house if I dress too poorly, and so I need people in my life. Uh, but uh, one of the things that, one of the concerns I have is that soon, probably very soon, my kids are not going to want to hang out with me if I keep dressing like this. And so there's, there's going to be a distance that happens naturally um, because of daggy dad, right? And so as my kids develop their own taste and sense of fashion, there's a distance that grows uh, there. I'm hoping it doesn't happen. I'm hoping that I'll always be the cool dad, um, not the daggy dad. I'm hoping, but it's probably not a realistic uh, reality. Uh, but look, there is a sense that in our Christian lives, as we grow closer to God, we can kind of distance ourselves from people. You know, we can just pull away from the people that are a bit different. In fact, there's statistics and research that points out that after about two years of someone becoming a Christian, they have naturally pulled away from the most significant relationships in their lives. So after about two years, most of the significant relationships in someone's life outside of faith and outside of family are gone. And it's a natural trend. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm sug I just want to throw out a challenge that maybe we're doing it wrong. Uh, now, it is healthy for us if we're in a toxic situation or toxic relationships to pull out of them. So I'm not talking about that. Uh, there is a tension, but... So in, in Hebrews 12.1, if you've got your Bibles, um, I've got the actual Bible rather than just a printout today. So go me. And... Um, Hebrews 12 verse 1, it's an awesome verse, I love this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And it goes on. It's a beautiful verse. Uh, but often the challenge we have as Christians is that we don't just throw the sin off, we throw the people off the bus. 
So the people in our lives that are sinful, that have problems, and it's so easy to cut them loose, isn't it? And I've done it. And it's so easy to pull away. And it's, uh, it's our attitudes that carry these relationships. And, going, and, and so we would need to, we'd be wise to challenge the attitudes of our heart as we engage with people. Now, there's a really cool story that we've just read uh, about someone who has, has, has an incredible attitude of gratitude going into their lives. And she's going into a, a space that is incredibly exclusive. And the story is in Luke 7. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn an actual Bible page to Luke 7, you can do that, verse 36. And uh, it's a really cool story uh, of, of an encounter of a lady who is going into a super exclusive club. And uh, so I'm going to read from verse 36. And this is the danger. The danger is that we can become like this group of people who set themselves apart. Now, one of the Pharisees, is verse 36, uh, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, this uh, Pharisee is this interesting word, the word Pharisee, because the word Pharisee actually comes from this Hebrew and Aramaic word, parush and parushi. And this literally means, the name actually means one who separates themselves. So the Pharisees took great pride in separating themselves from the other people. They were like, we're the exclusive club. We're the good people. We're like the Captain America of the world. Uh, we are awesome. And that's how they saw themselves. And they didn't see, uh, they didn't want to be around anyone who looked different, who smelled different, who, who had um, any cleanliness issues. And so it was an exclusive club of mostly men, really. Um, and it was quite an inc incredible group and this is the context of the story, where we see this incredible display of this lady of, who has an attitude of gratitude coming into display in its place that these people are, are wanting to be separate and wanting to be distant and wanting to be apart and wanting to be unique. And uh, it's, it's a really beautiful picture knowing the context of this verse. And continuing on, when, uh, verse 37, when a woman who had lived a sinful life I'm struggling to juggle all three things. There we go. There we go. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' table at the house. She came home. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And you're like, cool, what's an alabaster jar? We don't really use alabaster in our in our lives, do we? Has anyone got an alabaster jar at home? No, cool. You do? Well done. Well, Sylvia's got an alabaster jar. Um, well, an alabaster jar is like a natural stone. It's like marble or it's like granite. It's incredibly precious. And inside an incredibly precious vase or jar is incredibly precious things. And this is a picture. This is actually one that was from 2,500 years ago. It's from Canaan. And uh, it would, be, would have been something like this. It's actually sealed with wax. And these alabaster jars have a single purpose. And that day it was, a, it was a ritual tradition that they used to use it for. It was sealed with wax. And uh, the context here is that she's brought this precious vase to Jesus. And you're, you're still like, well, it's something we don't do in our, in our culture. We don't have uh, these vases or jars uh, in our lives. And uh, it kind of makes sense this next thing. As she stood behind him... At his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. 
Now, you, maybe you've missed it because I missed it the first few times and still started digging into it. But there's something really, 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 really beautiful happening right here. You see, this jar, the context of this jar, it, there was a tradition for the Jewish ladies at the time that when you became of age to be able to be married, marriageable age, your friends and relatives would give you a alabaster jar. That was a part of their ritual and tradition. You'd get an alabaster jar when you became marriageable age. And all your friends and family and relatives would give you really rich spices or oils to put in that jar. And typically it was nard. And typically uh, a typical lady would get um, about enough nard in her jar of alabaster to, it's about a year's wage equivalent that goes into it. There was a typical alabaster jar of nard. And so it's a very expensive gift. It's really incredible. But what this woman is actually doing is, is so much more. Because the, when a Jewish woman got her alabaster jar and a prospective suitor comes along, like a, uh, a guy who wants to marry this girl, uh, she would actually break it open on his feet. That was, that was a part of it. It's a tradition in, in Israel that they'd break open this jar and anoint that feet. And it's almost like a, a wedding ring. You put a wedding ring on your finger and say, yes, I'm committing to this. And so this woman is committing to Jesus in the most incredible, lavish display and demonstration of affection. It's just absolutely incredible. It's an amazing display of, of love poured out. And there's two things that are really, really happening here. Well, there's a number of things, actually. Uh, firstly, you know, this group of uh, Pharisees that are trying to be exclusive and separate and don't want to be around anyone are seeing this sinful woman, most likely a prostitute, the context is, and we see it in other um, Gospels, um, that she had a very, very sinful life and was excluded and no one liked her in a community. She would have been the most isolated, distant person. She would have been the sinner of sinners, the worst of the worst possible in a space. And she's come and she's, she's barged on in and she's gone past. She's broken all these incredible, uh, not incredible, but there's all these traditions and rituals and this etiquette of the day. She, she's come in and she she's, hasn't even addressed the host. So if someone comes to your house and just barges on and goes straight to the fridge and you don't know them, it's kind of awkward, right? Maybe don't try that. Um, but there's this, she's breaking all these traditions and rituals. She's a, a, a female who's gone up and it's not just touched a rabbi or someone, a Jewish teacher. She's, she's wet her hair and she's let her hair down and she's, over, she's just incredibly overwhelmed at the situation and she's just let herself loose. And so she's, all, all the, I guarantee everyone in that room would have been gasping, the audible gasp of, oh, can't believe she's doing that. It would have been incredibly awkward to be in the room. I mean, my nana, um, she used to lick her lips and then wipe smudges off my face when I was a kid. And that was so awkward for me as a kid. I'm like, oh, that's gross. Uh, this is kind of like that on steroids. This is next level. This is a, a woman just showing an incredible, lavish display of affection. To be in the room would have been, like, Jesus, are you seeing what's going on? Like, this is kind of really weird and really overwhelming. But she was overwhelmed. She, had, she was weeping as she was doing it. Now, you weep when you're overwhelmed. You cry when you're overwhelmed. You cry tears of happiness when you're overwhelmed by the level of happiness. You cry tears of sadness when you're overwhelmed by, by sadness. And so there's a sense that she's completely overwhelmed, but overwhelmed by what? I want to suggest today that she was overwhelmed by Jesus' acceptance and love. 
that uh, she would have probably likely heard about Jesus preaching. He would have, she would probably picked up on some of the things she said. And she, she doesn't, she's nameless in this story. She hasn't got a name. We don't know who this is. In fact, we, we probably see the way I understand Scripture is there's probably multiple times that this occurs with an alabaster jar. There's two different locations at least that someone breaks open this incredibly symbolic jar. Now, the first thing I want to point out is that this woman's worth is in the alabaster jar. So an alabaster jar, the size of the dowry depends on the weight of the alabaster jar. So for a woman to be worth a lot, so her parents and her relatives and friends would be wanting to get the mother of all alabaster jars. Like we're talking they want big and heavy and expensive and ornate because they want to express the value of their daughter or their um, or the sister or whoever it is and so that they would get extract a bigger dowry from the husband-to-be or the fiancé. And so her value was in an alabaster jar. And so here we have this beautiful picture of this woman recognizing the source of her value is at Jesus' feet. How amazing is that? That, that her value is set not by the things of the world, not from the people around her. She's coming and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I have. Is, is gonna, I'm going to lay it at Jesus' feet. And I'm not going to see my value from another man. I'm not going to see my relationships as who I am. But it's Jesus who defines me. What an incredible picture of someone acknowledging their identity in Jesus, acknowledging that He is the source of value. He is the creator God. And, and if you haven't come to that place of recognizing your value today, that you are worthy because Jesus has called you, because He has forgiven you, He has saved you, He has redeemed you and restored you. If you haven't set your value from Jesus today, you're always going to be feeling empty. You're going to be walking around with your alabaster jar empty with stones in it, nothing in it. Uh, But your value is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's a message we need to keep telling ourselves. Because what happens is we go out from here and we start to find our value in other things. We find our value in relationships. We find our value in achieving goals and work. We find our value in a whole heap of different ways. But Jesus is just like, hey, I want you to learn from this woman who is broken, recognizes her brokenness, but discovers her value and her value in Jesus. She's laying it at his feet. The second thing I want to highlight is that she's actually laying down her future. This was saved as a special wedding ring memento, kind of symbolic gesture for her future husband. So she's laying down her future. She's saying, hey, my dreams and goals, I'm laying them down. You see, for a Jewish girl at that age and stage of life, her hopes and dreams and future would have been tied to her marriage of a husband. Now, I keep making jokes with my wife that I'm her future, and she doesn't get it. Uh, But it's different in those days. There was no welfare. There was no support systems. And so for for a lady, that's all she had. And it's a patriarchal society, and women weren't valued. And Jesus changed that whole conversation around. Jesus is the great redeemer and restorer, and he rescues. But he brought about an equality for females, and it's beautiful. And, he's, and this woman is saying, hey, I'm laying aside the plans I have for tomorrow, today, at Jesus' feet. And I want to encourage us as church to learn from this lady 
that your dreams and hopes and desires that you have for tomorrow, for the next day, for the end of the year, for when you finish school, uni, work, when your kids leave home, when you finally retire, whatever your plans are for the future, you would be wise to understand and learn from this woman to lay it at Jesus' feet because his plans are better than anything you can have for your life. His plans are for your ultimate fulfillment and freedom. His plans are that you have hope and hope everlasting, hope eternal. And it's not, like eternity is a long time and we want to be part of God's plan for that in our lives. So that's the future. So this, this lady, she's come in with this incredible attitude of gratitude. But her attitude of gratitude is, is this demonstrated in these two ways. Her value is the source, source of her value is Jesus, and the source of her future is Him. Do you know that all anxiety exists outside of things we can control? And, and for this lady, there would have been huge anxiety. She, she was likely a prostitute who had no future. She couldn't marry. No one would want her. She's laying her future aside, her brokenness aside, and saying, look, I, don't, I can't be in control, and I'm done being in in trying to be in control, I'm done with this anxiety. And, and that, that's something that I struggle with. And I guess all of us struggle at points in our lives of the, what does the future hold? Are we willing to take a step back and say, God, I trust you with tomorrow, today. And the weight that that is lifted when we realize the freedom that that brings for us is incredible. And it's an amazing response to realize uh, that the future is in Jesus' hands. Now, verse 39 says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And so Jesus is doing this incredible interaction. He's having this incredible display um, of engagement with this woman, and the people in the house are more concerned with how they look, their reputation, their f- sense of fashion. You know, they're more concerned with what, how they present to the people outside. They don't want to be contaminated. And this attitude of gratitude, this woman doesn't care. And I, I want to challenge us as a church that we would have an attitude of gratitude that means we don't care who we associate with. That the people who look different, who sound different, who, who have different values, who are sinners, who are the sinners of sinners, the worst sinner you could possibly think, are you scared to be with them, to be seen with them? See, we often jump to we want to um, not be seen to agree with the sin, so we reject the sinner. But there's a beautiful picture here. Jesus did not reject the sinner of sinners. He loved and embraced her. He allowed her this incredible moment of affection, and it's a beautiful thing. But the, the Pharisee here is considering, you know, is this even like a holy man? Like, who is this guy? And I love Jesus' response. Uh, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, Jesus doesn't always say that. Like, Jesus is the teacher. He normally just talks and people listen. But here he is. He's put pause and he's saying, Simon, are you willing to listen to what I have to say for, to you? And I think many times in my life, I have simply not been willing to listen to what God has been trying to say to me. And sometimes God keeps me in the same pocket of pain and the the same distress and the same frustrations and anxiety because literally I am not willing to hear from God. The posture of my heart is not in a place to hear from Him. And I love this. And He waits for Him to respond. Tell me, teacher. And would we as a church... Be willing to say, tell me, Jesus, 
I want to hear from you. And it's an attitude of gratitude that comes out of knowing that God has a message and a plan and a purpose for you. He's wanting to talk to you. Do you know that God's wanting to talk to you all the time? Like it's not just on Sundays. God's not wanting to just, you know, hey, here's your message for the week. I hope you survive until next Sunday. He's like, no, I've got, I want to continually, my spirit in you, the Holy Spirit is a person living and breathing in and through you. I want, the Holy Spirit is wanting to engage in every encounter through you. Wherever you are, work, school, uni, in hospital, wherever you are, on your deathbed, God is wanting to work in and through you continually. And this attitude, understanding this changes our willingness to listen to God because He's always willing to talk, but we are not always willing to listen. And then He says this beautiful parable, and I love how Jesus talks about parables. When we read parables in the Bible, we need to understand and remember every parable is talking about a kingdom value all about God's kingdom. Uh, Two people owed money to a certain money lender. I'm going to read from the Bible. There we go. Uh, two, Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Okay, what's a denarii? Well, 50 denarii is about two months wage and 500 denarii is about 20 months wage. So a fair bit of money. Uh, Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, if you're working for ANZ right now, I'd love to have a chat to you what this means for me. And if you'd like to cancel my mortgage debt, uh, that would be awesome. How how much freedom would there be if you had no mortgage? Like, everyone here, most people, some people got a mortgage in the room, yeah? How awesome would it be to have that debt cancelled? But how much, how much more amazing is the debt of our guilt and our sin that Jesus has cancelled? That, that blows us out of the water. This is incredible, the debt that uh, sin has brought us into bondage. But we are free in Jesus' name. And that's an incredible picture. But uh, Simon, Simon replied, he said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Uh, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, uh, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet and her, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This, this, this Pharisee is concerned about the identity of Jesus. Is he even a good person? And Jesus comes back and basically says, I'm forgiving her sins, which is a statement that Pharisee knew only God could make. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm God. And um, you would have heard an audible gasp in the room again as, Jesus, as these are Pharisees are incredibly offended. And the Pharisees went from place to place to place to being offended by all that Jesus does. And uh, Jesus is such a radical. I love Jesus. So good. Uh, but he's, and then Jesus said to her, to, to reinforce this in front of him, it's almost like to rub it in to the Pharisees. I love this. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't shy back from conflict. I'm conflict adverse, so this is hard for me I, <gasps> inside when, when I read this. But Jesus goes a little bit further just to make sure they are offended. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And another gasp in the room. <gasps> he said, What? Uh, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who is even forgiven, who forgives sins? Uh, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
And this is a beautiful picture of, of a lady who's, who's, got, who's nameless, who hasn't, doesn't really play any significant role in Scripture, but has this incredible display of affection. She's, she's come to realize that her value and her future belong to Jesus. He is the source of them. And because of that, she can have an attitude of gratitude. See, we can't just be grateful. Like, sometimes we struggle to be grateful. We're like, what are we grateful for? Sometimes when I'm praying, I'm like, God, thank you for... Um, we see this when, we, when our kids give, do grace in the mornings or when they have dinner and stuff. They're like, oh, thank you for, you know, the flies that they stay away from us and the uh, internet that's really fast today. And we, we struggle to be grateful for things. But this lady is like, hey, guys, um, grateful in the right ways, grateful in the right things. She's grateful because her value is set in Jesus. Her future is determined by Him. She can rest in the freedom of, of Jesus. How good is that? She can be grateful. And so as a church, I would encourage us to reflect and remember our values, our future, and be grateful from that place, grateful for what Jesus has done. So in your prayers, as you're saying grace, as as you speak and pray during the day, I would encourage you to incorporate this concept of gratitude in everything you do. God, you're amazing. God, you're not just amazing for the circumstances of my life. And my life's pretty cool. I've got an amazing wife and three beautiful kids. That's awesome. I'm thank you for that. I'm not going to not say thank you. But I want to focus on you, God. I am so grateful for Jesus. I am so grateful for my value being in Him. I'm so grateful that I'm set free, that I'm no longer under the bondage and constraints of sin in my life that I can walk in freedom knowing that I'm forgiven of my past. I'm not defined by my sin. That, that God, I, I'm so thank you, thankful for the, for the opportunity to engage with the lost. Lord, help me to not focus on the, on the lostness, but the lost. See, sometimes we can focus on the lostnesses. It's not even a word. I like it. Um, but we focus on the state of someone's lostness and not the state of their being, not the state of who they are. And God is wanting to restore them. And so, t- so often we discard the sinner because we're focusing on their sin. But when, we're great, when we understand grace, when we understand that my righteousness is because of the work of Jesus and Jesus alone, I don't, I don't earn it, I don't deserve it. That's grace. Grace is I don't, I'm, I'm getting what I don't deserve, eternal life, and not getting what I do deserve, which is separation from Him. That's grace. And when I'm operating with this attitude of gratitude, it changes how I engage with people. It changes how I pray. It is a, in closing, because everyone likes those words, in closing, Isaiah 61 has this beautiful prophecy that talks, it's, it's like a direct prophecy of Jesus, and I believe it's more so in this moment with this woman with the alabaster jar. And I'll read it because it's, it's fantastic. And the Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance of our God and comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes." A crown of beauty. This is such a beautiful thing. This, this woman is being restored with her dignity. She's been forgiven publicly. Just an incredible display of beauty. Uh, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. 
and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. That garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know, you and I have an opportunity to wear a garment each day. We have an opportunity to put on an attitude of gratitude, and that's our garment that gets us through the day. And so as we go out from here, as we leave the space, will we consider that God is calling us to have an attitude of, of thankfulness for what He has done, who He is? You know, if you're outside and it's pouring with rain and you're in a nice waterproof jacket, it's all good. You can go through storms if you've got this attitude of gratitude, knowing that Jesus is enough, that He has set your value and your future. You can go into any storm and feel secure. But it's a daily decision of, God, I'm going to wear this attitude of gratitude. I'm going to choose to acknowledge your faithfulness and your goodness and not keep reflecting on my circumstances. God, it's not about me getting a more comfortable life. It's about me being a part of what you're already doing. What an incredible blessing and joy it is to be a part of what God is doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Uh, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this amazing story. We can see so much about the importance of an attitude of gratitude. Uh, Lord, that we can see the importance of, of knowing our value is set because of you. Uh, Lord, I pray for anyone here who, for all of us really, who, who find our value in other things. We, we seek our worth by the things around us, by the people, by seeking validation from relationships, from seeking fulfillment from jobs and duty, Lord, from, from seeking positions of authority or p- prestige. That's our value. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to find our value in you and you alone. Lord, I pray that we would find our future in you and you alone that we wouldn't be anxious about anything, that we'd bring our desires and dreams at your feet, knowing that your plans far exceed, far outweigh anything that we could possibly do. Lord, we want you to be our Lord and King, not just to say those words, but to live it. So today, Lord, would you dress us with a garment of gratitude, saying, how good is God? How good is Jesus? The work he has done in my life and the work he will do, how good is he. So Lord, thank you for all that you are. Lord, we keep taking the attention of our hearts away from ourselves and turn them back to you. We want you to be glorified and lifted up here in this beautiful city of Redland. Lord, we want you to be honored and glorified. In all that we do say and think, Lord, would you be lifted up. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.